Good morning. And good morning to those that are watching online or in overflow. We are glad that you're with us today. Has it not been beautiful weather lately? Yeah. Amen? <laughs> it's been awesome. And we've been able to enjoy that. It's been somewhat unexpected, but it's been a gift. And today, we're continuing on in this series called The Gift, where we're recognizing there's so many good things in our life, so many gifts that God gives us. And sometimes we expect those things, and, and sometimes they show up in unexpected ways. We all love receiving gifts, and there's times in our lives, like birthdays or Christmas, where you, you expect to get something, right? You be honest. It's okay. You're in church. You can be honest. You expect to get something. But then sometimes you can get something unexpected. It cannot be your birthday. For example, I had uh, a surprise birthday party in July. My birthday's in January. <laughs> so it was an unexpected gift that I was able to receive, my family celebrating my birthday in that way. And today, actually, I have a video that helps to kind of set this up pretty well. And I'll just warn you, it's one of those tearjerker videos, so just brace yourself for that. Um, and uh, in this video, what you're about to see is you're going to see someone who'd lived their entire life without the ability to hear. And they go into the doctor's office knowing that as they go into that doctor's office, that their hearing would be restored, that they would be able to hear for the very first time in their life. And then there is something unexpected that happens along with that amazing gift. Going in with the expectation to be able to hear for the first time is already amazing. It's astounding. And then there's something else. So let's go ahead and watch this video together.
Awesome. Can we give that? That's just awesome. <laughs> to go in, to go into, to expect something that she's never experienced in her life before, to be able to hear, to be able to hear her mother say, I love you, for her mother to be able to experience the fact that she can say, I love you to her daughter and her daughter can hear it. And then even more than that, going in with that expectation of that amazing thing. It's a, it's a medical miracle. It's, it's amazing God has given us the ability to do these sorts of things and figure this out. But then even on top of that, for her to, to start her life with her, her soon-to-be husband, you know, through the proposal there. That's just an amazing video. And, and I believe it sets up well for us what we're talking about today. That there's gifts in the Christian life. There are gifts that we expect to receive. But there's also an unexpected nature to them as well. And this is especially true on this day of Pentecost, where we recognize that over 2,000 years ago, the church was born. That God gave a gift on this day that is still alive and well. You see, what has already transpired here is that, that Jesus has lived, lived a life that none of us could live. He died the death that none of us could die. He was resurrected, and he continued to appear to his disciples and other followers for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, he gave them instruction. And he said that he was going to send them a gift. And then they, he ascended into heaven. And that's where we find the disciples, the followers of Jesus, along with a larger crowd. It says here in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Pentecost being, this is 50 days after the Passover. And so within the Jewish calendar, this was an important day. This is one of their three major festivals. Passover has already taken place in 50 days, seven weeks later, and into the new week, 50 days. They're celebrating, uh, actually all the Jewish people from all the region, all around the world, are coming back to Jerusalem. This is a significant day in their calendar. And they're coming to bring their first fruits. So they, they descended onto the city of Jerusalem. But that's not talking about that massive crowd. It's saying they, and it's referring to the 120 followers of Jesus, the 11 disciples, because Judas is no longer there, the 11 disciples and other followers, and they were all together in one place on Pentecost. So what we know about this already is that they're gathering together each day, that they're praying, that they're getting together in an upper room of a home, 120 of them, from the time that Jesus had ascended. So it wasn't the first day afterwards, it wasn't the second, the third, it wasn't the seventh day afterwards either. Ten days has passed since Jesus had ascended. And they're gathering again, another day in a row, another day to worship, to pray, and to wait. Because of what they had known is just a chapter earlier, right as Jesus is about to ascend, is he promises that he's going to send a gift, that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And he also gives them the command that they're going to go and spread the good news about him to that Jerusalem, that city, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that wasn't the only time that Jesus had made this promise to them, though. Back in John chapter 15, this is before Jesus' death and resurrection, he tells his disciples, when the advocate, that is, when the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. The Holy Spirit will testify and tell others about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. They're expecting something. They're, they've been told by Jesus a few times. They've been told by Jesus specifically as Jesus was ascending that he's going to send this gift. So they were waiting expectantly 
Something is supposed to come. And then we see what that actually looks like. Back in Acts chapter 2, it says, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. It wasn't that there was necessarily a a, a large wind. It, It came from heaven. It wasn't from the east, west, north, or south. Some sound that was miraculous was heard by all of them that were sitting there. And we actually see later in the text that it was actually heard throughout all of Jerusalem. This is, you know, for those of you that have maybe lived in Tornado Alley or maybe around here, tornadoes happen every now and again. If you, you're told, right? If you hear that loud sound that sounds like a train's outside your house, what are you supposed to do? Stick your head out the door, right? And try to see where it's at. No, you're supposed to go take cover. So there's a sound that's this crazy loud sound that's heard throughout the whole city. And that's the first miraculous thing. So they know that something's happening. And then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Again, so here they're, they're, they're trying, to, trying to figure out how they can describe this as best as they can. This is Luke writing this for us, so it's, it sounded like a wind, but it wasn't necessarily a wind. It was tongues of fire, that, but it, it seemed like it. We're not, they're not quite sure, but it's something supernatural, something miraculous. And these two signs signify and seal the fact that the Holy Spirit had come. And then even more than that, they receive a gift, a supernatural gift, a supernatural ability to speak other languages. Not just because they wanted to speak other languages, but we see it was with a purpose. And now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, they heard this sound that the same disciples in the upper room heard throughout all of Jerusalem as they're gathered. They heard this sound. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't these who are speaking Galileans? That's to say, these, aren't these just common people? Aren't these just like those guys, the Galileans? There's no way these are learned people that would know all these different languages. What we know is over a dozen different languages from these different regions that they heard being spoken. And so they're confused in asking this question. They heard the sound. Now they're hearing things in their own language. And then we see actually what it is that they're hearing in their own language. They ask this question, then how is it that each of us hears in our own native language? Because this is all the regions they're from, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, and Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring, this is the important piece, they're declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. They hear this miraculous sound, and then they hear their own language, but really importantly, they hear these disciples praising God, worshiping God, which maybe leads us to believe, what were they doing in the upper room? They were waiting with the expectation the Holy Spirit was coming, but maybe this is what they were already doing in the upper room. Before the Holy Spirit came, maybe they were already worshiping and praising God as they were gathered together. Maybe it's the fact that the Holy Spirit, as it's indwelling them now, is causing them to praise and worship God. And that's what all of these people are hearing. And for those that aren't familiar with all these different regions, I just find this to be a little bit helpful. That they're coming from all over the known world at that time, all over the Roman Empire and beyond, that they're all descending on Jerusalem. 
And we don't know exact numbers, but there are some that estimate that could have been 200,000 people that are descending on Jerusalem that Pentecost. You know, the city's population tripled for those large festivals when that happened. So at Pentecost, that they're all there, they're hearing their languages from all over these different regions. They're hearing these disciples praise God, worship God, speak of the wonders of God, and then that makes them ask this question. They're amazed, they're perplexed, and they ask one another a wonderful Lutheran question. <laughs> what does this mean? For those that aren't Lutheran, you can go and look at your small catechism. It's in there a lot. Uh, <laughs> and some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. So I don't know which camp that you would have been in or what I would have been in, but the fact is this, that they're seeing something miraculous, something amazing, something supernatural, that you're in a different region and you hear someone that by no means would be able to know your language. And they're speaking your language. And they, even more than that, they're speaking about God. So some are humble enough to ask the question, what does this mean? Like, what, what's the, the significance of what's taking place? But whenever there's a large crowd gather, you can be sure that there's going to be mockers in the group as well. And they're both confused, and they both don't have answers, but some choose to just mock the disciples and say that they had too much wine. And then we see Peter. Out of all the disciples, it's no surprise that he's the one that stands up and speaks. From earlier in Scripture, we know that Peter's bold that he's outspoken, and oftentimes he puts his foot in his mouth. But in this case, we actually see him empowered by the Holy Spirit, and what he's about to do is address this crowd and then give the first sermon in the Christian church. Now that Jesus has ascended, he's empowered, and he's going to tell them how it is. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, so Jews from all over and those that are in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I guess it would have been excusable if it was later in the day. <laughs> but it's early in the morning. They're not drunk. And he's telling them this is how it is. This is what's actually taking place. He says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. So he's quoting from the Old Testament, he's quoting from the scripture that all the Jewish people in Jerusalem or who had come to that city that they're all familiar with. And he's telling them, this is what's taking place right now. The Spirit of God is on all of these disciples who are speaking in these different languages. So he's setting the stage, he's giving the credibility that this is what's taking place. You're actually seeing scripture being fulfilled. This prophecy is being fulfilled right now that the Holy Spirit is descended on them. And then he goes on and he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourself know. What I find amazing about this is he starts with scripture, something that they all understood out of the Joel saying that, okay, the Holy Spirit's here. The Holy Spirit's working through this. And now he's going to move on to Jesus because he's going to hang on to this, this main point. It's all about Jesus. And let me start off by telling you, you know about him. You've heard about him. It was in this, this very city that just 50 days ago that he was crucified that people are likely talking about that, that those in Jerusalem certainly knew about it, and that those within the region likely knew about it as well. And if they didn't know about it from before, as they came back to Jerusalem, they'd heard about it. 
He's talking to them about this miracle worker that they had already been talking about, this Jesus that you yourself know. And he goes from there to explain the things that they couldn't understand. That this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Again, that's all common knowledge. They all knew this to be the case. But then this is probably news to some of them. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. That this person, Jesus, that you knew as a miracle worker, yes, you know he was crucified. He was actually crucified at your hands, even if you weren't there. It's because of you, because of your sinful nature, that he was crucified and died, and God has raised him from the dead. He goes on and he actually quotes more Old Testament scripture from David, and he points to the fact that David predicted that the Messiah was to come, that there was going to be a resurrection, and that David referred to the future Jesus, his own descendant, as his Lord, recognizing that the significance of Jesus is far beyond than just a simple earthly descendant of David, but he's actually a Messiah, that he's actually the anointed one, that he's actually God. And this is how he finishes his sermon. Peter says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. That's a heavy finishing line for the first ever sermon that's being preached to them, saying that you, you, if you're from any other region, and even Jerusalem, it doesn't matter who you are, but if you're in the Jewish faith, that you, or even outside the Jewish faith, anyone who's sinned against God, that has fallen short of his perfection, of his plan for our life, that we have crucified him, and that he is both Lord and Messiah, recognizing who Jesus is as God. Not just some earthly king, not just some significant prophet, but God himself, and that they had crucified him. And they actually respond in this way, which is kind of amazing. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They didn't get defensive. They didn't say, no, that wasn't me. I didn't put the nails in his hand. I wasn't here for that. They actually are cut to the heart. They're convicted that the prophet, the Messiah, that Jesus himself was here, the one that they had been waiting for over 400 years, and they crucified him. And they were cut to the heart. Which, as I was reading this text, it makes me ask the question, when was the last time you, when was the last time I was cut to the heart? That when I look at God's plan for my life and for how he he wants me to carry out my thoughts, my words, and my actions, am I actually cut to the heart? That I'm actually convicted? That I feel a rightful sense of guilt in my shortcomings and in my sinful nature? When was the last time for you? Because it is not just to beat ourselves up, but to recognize that this is good and right within the Christian life. Just as we did here at communion, to be reminded that we often fall short, but then it's closely followed by, not just wallowing in the fact that we fall short, but that God embraces us in that brokenness and he freely offers us grace and forgiveness. And that's what Peter does here. As they're cut to the heart, he replies to them and he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, this is an amazing gift. When you ask that question, when you're, when you're convicted, when you're cut to the heart, as it says here in the scripture, that you want forgiveness, right? That's the thing that you're hoping for. That's the gift that you want more than anything is you want the right standing with God. You want that sin to be washed away. 
And that's what he offers them. And he says that you will repent, you'll turn from that, you will be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you have forgiveness of your sin. That's almost the expected gift, the gift that we all want. But then there's the unexpected gift that follows that, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off and all whom the Lord our God will call. That even more than just being in a right standing with God and being okay with him, you've gone from being a slave to sin to being a son of righteousness. You've been gone from being dead in your trespasses and now you are alive in Christ. And so with the gift of the Holy Spirit that they are called to go and to spread the same good news that they received. So he continued to preach to them. It's not recorded here, but it says, with many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That Peter, the guy who often, like I said, put his foot in his mouth, preaches this sermon by the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is the beginning of the church. It had gone from 120 followers of Jesus to 3,000 in one day. It's astounding. It's amazing. It's a miracle. It is something that they had expected, that Holy Spirit, but the unexpected was the fact that the church began with thousands that day, and we're told in the days to follow as they continued to gather in Jerusalem that more and more numbers were added to them as they were there. What we need to recognize today is that that same Holy Spirit the same Holy Spirit that was present at Pentecost is still at work today. The same Holy Spirit that emboldened and empowered Peter to preach that sermon is at work in you and is at work in me. The same Holy Spirit that gave them the supernatural ability to speak in tongues has given you gifts, he's given me gifts that we can go forward and actually spread God's message to the world that he gives us the ability to be convicted, to be comforted, but he also gives us a calling as well. That you, now as a temple to the Holy Spirit and myself, that we are not just simply called to be saved, but we're called to be messengers and missionaries. The expected, unexpected gift that came from this was the birth of the church, that they had the Holy Spirit and that they were able to give the Holy Spirit to others, that as they repented and were baptized, that the Holy Spirit came on those as well. And that what happened from there, which is astounding, that I didn't see until I looked at this last week, is that those thousands that were there, the 3,000 that were added that day, and likely the thousands that were added in the days to follow, some were residents of Jerusalem. But as you saw earlier, many of them were from other regions. And they went back and they planted churches. And we know this because we see in Paul's missionary journeys, as he comes upon churches that he never planted. So where did those churches come from? They came from the fact that the Holy Spirit descended not only on the apostles, not only on the 120, but on the 3,000 of those that came to believe even afterwards that they were given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the unexpected thing that happened is the church was birthed then. It started with 3,000. I think it's important that they record numbers because numbers, these recognize that 3,000 people in that day went from death to life. It's, it's, it's astounding to think about that. I mean, in the earlier service this morning, we were able to witness that as, as William was baptized, and just yesterday there was another baptism. So we only have 2,998 2, to go, and we could get 3,000 as well. But I don't, I'm not going to try to catch Peter. But this second number is an important number too. You might not recognize it, but it comes from a census in 2010. We don't have the most recent census data, but within the county that we're in right now, within Macomb County, 400, 
478,858 people, individuals, are not alive in Christ. That they claim to be non-believers and do not follow Jesus, and they don't claim to be him, him as Lord and Savior. Nearly half a million people in our vicinity right now, the people that you work with, the people that you shop next to, the people that live next to you, the people that live next to me, our neighbors that you look across the street and you see them, you might not know this, but they, they might not be with you or I in eternity. And, and what I believe is on, on this Pentecost Sunday to recognize and remember that it started with 3,000, it's spread now to the billions, but the work isn't done yet. And the way that God accomplishes his work by the Holy Spirit is through his people and through his church. And so what I would hope to see and what I believe God is already doing and has done in this church is that he's beginning to make a map that looks like this, that here in, in Shelby Township, that we actually send people out, send people into the workplace, send people into neighborhoods, send people into wherever it is that you play and have recreation or go camping and recognize that there, even there, the Holy Spirit follows you and he follows me. And that together we're collectively called to be messengers, not to simply be complacent and cozy in the fact that I'm forgiven, I'm good, God forgave me of my sins, I took communion, I went to church. That's all good. But the unexpected gift that we all receive as we come here is that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit and we're called to go and be Jesus' hands and feet because there are people that don't yet know him, that don't yet call upon Jesus as Lord, that have not repented and been baptized, they have not turned from their ways and recognized that there is more to this life than they see and that Jesus is Lord and that we are called to go out into our neighborhoods, into our communities, and to be that light, to be those messengers. And you can do that in a number of different ways. There's a, an amazing number of ways, even here at this church. I mean, you heard earlier that they're doing this awesome thing where they're loving on our neighbors as they, their apartment complex burnt down, and they're doing Outfit Your Neighbor. Well, right now, 63% of all those outfits have been filled, but there's still about 200 items that need to be collected. Can we do that, church? Can we love those people by clothing them and saying, we love you enough, we don't know you, we might not even know your names. We haven't had a conversation with you. We love you enough to put a shirt on your back because Jesus loved me and he loves you too. You love someone enough to invite them to come to this church, invite them to an outdoor service, invite them to a social group, invite them to your backyard, have a conversation across the street with your neighbor. This is for me too, that as I look into my own neighborhood, I, do I know if my neighbors are saved or not? I need to get to work. I have a job to do. I have to be a messenger of this good news. And recognize this again, that the Holy Spirit, the same one from Pentecost, is at work in you. He's at work in me. And he's at work in this church today. And actually here, just in a moment, as Pastor Tim already shared, that we're going to celebrate some of our seniors. And uh, I find that to be an amazing time. <clears throat> because you have 18 years with your student, your child. And the church even only has those 18 years before they go up, grow up and they go on and they're going to go on to school or into a career or do a trade school. They're going to go and find themselves in new circles of influence, into new circles where they're going to be around other people. And oftentimes, I actually find this to be true in a couple different seasons in the church's life, that we begin to worry about, well, I hope they keep their faith. I hope they don't fall away because statistically that's what happens. And it's like, I don't want anything to do with that. That fear-based, just a hope, I'm going to hope and pray. What I'd rather see is a confidence as a church that we've done all that we can that they are God's child, they have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that we're sending missionaries out. 
Just as each of us should be living out the fact that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit and should be messengers wherever we are, that actually as we send graduates out from their high schools to colleges and careers, that we're actually spreading good news because we're sending messengers out into the world that have been trained up under your homes and under the roof of this church, that they know who they are and whose they are, that they can go and spread the good news on college campuses and new careers and as they start their own families. And so that's what I hope to see in, in the years to come that we get reminded of time and time again as we send anybody out on a mission trip or as they take that next phase and that next journey in their life, as they transition to somewhere new. Is this a new opportunity for you to start something new, but it's a new opportunity for you to go and find yourself in a new circle of people that might not know Jesus, and it's your calling and it's my calling to share good news with them. Can we do that, church? Amen? All right, will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this, this birthday of the church. God, we thank you for the gift that you gave to your church over 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit, and that that Spirit is still alive and well in our hearts and within this church. God, I pray that you would call us, that you would convict us, that you would encourage our faith, but God, I would also ask that you would remind us of the calling that you placed on every single Christian that we are called to be your missionaries, that we are called to carry your message forward, that those that don't yet know Jesus need to know you, and that it is by our actions and our words and our invitations that your kingdom can move forward here in this community. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.